Good morning, church. I'm Eric. I'll be reading the Bible today. And we've got three uh, verses to be read. And that can be found in the Pew Bibles, Luke chapter 8, in um, verse 19 to 21, page 1473. All right, Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and puts it into practice. Next, we'll be moving on to Romans 8, verse 28 on page 1610. Verse 28 to 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be of the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And next we'll be moving on to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, found on page 1667. Verse 7. But to each of us, sorry, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took on many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. In Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Thanks, Eric. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us and that through it, you shape the way in which we as a community are to live. So we pray that this day, In so doing, we might glorify and honour your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Alrighty, can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you were given as you came in? You'll see on the inside, as usual, reasonably detailed outline of what we're going to speak about. Um, The passages that Eric read from as well will be printed there in that leaflet, so if you have that in front of you, that will make it easier. Uh, We come to the last of our three weeks making our way through Belong. Belong is our uh, newcomer welcome course. And you can see on the top left what we've seen so far. Uh, Firstly, the God we belong to, uh, and then secondly, the Global Mission Task Force we belong to. Uh, And probably what you've noticed in this series is that we've actually said very little about this particular church. Uh, The reason for that, of course, is that most of what we have to say actually applies to believers everywhere. Uh, Nevertheless, it is good for us to talk uh, in this last session about what is this particular church to be like. Here's where I want to start today. Like we did a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to ask you just for a minute to turn to the person next to you 
And I'd like you to share with each other, before I ask for some feedback, share with each other, what do you look for in a church? What do you look for in a church? Okay, person next to you, one minute. Go, talk. Um, thank you. All right. Let's hear from a few people. I'll just get you to put your hand up. I'll point to you, loud voice. What do you look for in a church? A couple of people. Sorry, I can't actually hear you. Um, sorry, the fact that uh, we're part of a network of churches. Okay, thank you. Yes, Henry. Uh, teaching. teaching. Okay, thank you. A couple others. What do you look for in a church? Yep. Christ-centered. Thank you very much. One more. A caring place. Terrific. Thank you. Okay. Have a look at your handout, and you'll see what I want to talk about today. Um, a couple of things. Firstly, what God is doing in us as a whole community, both individually and collectively. And then after that, some implications. In fact, three I want to cover. So to point one then, what God is doing in us individually and collectively. Uh, throughout this whole series, I've tried to emphasize that what we do in church is only secondary. It is always in response to what God has done for us and what God is still doing and what God promises he will bring to completion. So the reading there from Romans chapter 8, let me read out verses 28 and 29 again. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, in these short verses, the Apostle Paul describes what God is doing in and amongst us, not just individually, but collectively. Individually, uh, verse 29, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. We might be conformed to the image of his son. God's plan for each one of us is that we be made more and more like Christ, more and more like Jesus each day. But God isn't just doing something in us individually, he's doing something in us collectively as a whole. So verse 29 goes on, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the way God plans to make each one of us more and more like Christ, the way God plans to make each one of us more and more like Christ, is to bring us into something bigger, into a family, uh, which is a lovely metaphor that means that Christians, therefore, are siblings with Jesus as our oldest brother and firstborn son under our Father in heaven. That's the family metaphor that Paul is using here. Now, if that feels big, well, it is. What Paul is effectively saying is that in a church, we have bonds that are even stronger than our biological ones. We have bonds that are even stronger than our biological ones. And actually, that's the logical conclusion to the way in which Jesus himself redefined the very definition of family in Luke chapter 8. So have a look at the second reading. It's printed there on your handout. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Uh, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they weren't able to get near of him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied, my mother and brothers 
are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, let me at this point just point out the obvious. Please don't ever say that if your family's standing outside. Right, that's a little bit insensitive. Um, I guess what I want to observe is that actually genetics are important. Biology still does matter. The New Testament expects us to take care of biological family. So parents are expected to raise their children in the faith, just as children are to assist their parents when it's their turn. What Jesus is saying, I think, is that biology, even though important, it's always secondary. Secondary to the spiritual family to which every believer belongs. And of course, the way in which Jesus says we become a spiritual family, well, that's verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus says, We are family with those with whom we gather around God's word and put it into practice. What makes us family is that we gather together around God's word and we put it into practice, which of course is just a reminder of what we saw in the first week of this series. We have a God who speaks to us through his word. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, to point out the obvious, if the metaphor that both Paul and Jesus are using to describe church is of a family... Well, like you know, in families, church is not monochrome or homogenous. Church is not monochrome or homogenous. Church is not meant to be just full of people who are just like me. Rather, church, like families, are diverse. And we've seen that in a couple of ways already in this series. We saw it last week, actually. Church is... I think, to be multi-ethnic because we are called to make disciples of all nations. But church is also to be intergenerational because, if I can put it this way, who will teach those who are younger in the faith what it's like to become more like Jesus if not those on whom God has been working for much longer? give you an example. Take the slide on screen behind me. Uh, it's a picture here, not that slide. That slide, thank you. There's a picture here uh, from Commitment Sunday last week. Uh, you can see a picture there of Nicole being baptised at nine and uh, likewise Danica, Sanchana, James and Monica at 6pm. And what you notice about all of those who were welcomed into God's family last week, all of them are in their 20s. So my question is, who can best show them how to follow Jesus through thick and thin for the years ahead? Well, to state the obvious, it's not their peers. It's not their peers who are at the same stage as them. Actually, it's the uncles and aunties and grandparents in the faith who've already done it for themselves. I want to say that I know that our church is far from perfect as an intergenerational family. I know we're far from perfect as an intergenerational family. But this is what we aspire to. And I want to say at a personal level that actually this has been uh, Wendy and my experience ever since we joined this church when we moved here some 20 years ago from New South Wales. Now, there should be a slide on screen at this point. This will make you smirk a bit. Uh, This is a picture of me at my ordination, just as uh, I finished up in Sydney and we moved here. Gosh, I look young. (laughs) 
what children do to you. Um, when we moved here to Adelaide, Wendy and I, we had no biological family in South Australia. We actually had no friends here. Well, actually, that's not true. We knew one person. Uh, that's um, Tabitha over here, who, as soon as we got here, promptly left with CMS to go overseas. Uh, we, under- we knew what was going on there. Um, it meant that, actually, the next slide, when we came here from Sydney... Oh, isn't that cute? This is a picture of our now six-foot-one-tall boy, Matthew, who, when we brought him 20 years ago, he was the only grandchild and the only great-grandchild on all sides of the family, all of whom lived in Sydney. We had no family, no biological family here, but in this church, we found mothers and brothers and sisters who have become our family here. They are the ones who babysat our children and took them to sport. They are the ones with whom we have celebrated birthdays and milestones and funerals. I know our church family is far from perfect, but this is what we aspire to. My prayer for every newcomer is that you will come to belong to this church family in the same way so many others have before you. Well, what God is doing in us individually and collectively, making us more like Jesus by putting us into a family, what are some of the implications? You'll see in your handout, for the rest of our time, I want to talk about three different implications. Uh, Just three of many that I could describe, but three implications that it has for us as a church. Let me run you through each of them in turn. Firstly, bottom left of your handout, how membership works in our church family. How membership works in our church family. Now, of course, some people are new to a church. They want to ask, what does it mean to become a member? Um, We here at Trinity, we don't have a formal membership process. You know, one where you sign documents, you make public commitments annually and so on. Other churches do that. That's great for them. But that's not how we've chosen to do things. And to be honest, it's gone okay for a number of years. Uh, Partly, it's because, as I talked about last week, we are a very high turnover church. Or, as I tried to say, We are a constantly sending church. People are always coming and going. So we found it's helpful not to be too rigid when it comes to talking about membership. Having said that, even without formalities, there are three aspects of membership which will help you feel like you belong to this church family. And actually, all of them can be understood with that metaphor of a family. Look at there on your handout. Let me talk about each three of them, each of them. Firstly, how membership works in a church family, you attend a gathering every Sunday. You attend a gathering every Sunday. Why? Well, because this is when the family meets. And if you're in a family, you come together when everyone else does. Actually, it's the very first question that you ask when you turn up to a family gathering you know, when you turn up and uh, you've all come together because it's someone's birthday or a, a wedding or some special occasion, the first question you ask is, where's so-and-so? Because when the family meets, we all get together. So one of the ways in which you belong to this church family is that you attend a gathering every Sunday. It's when the church meets. Now, of course, I get it. I'm preaching to the converted. You're here today. Well done. I look forward to seeing you next week when we meet again. 
Let me just, just say something as a kind of a, a qualification or a clarification. When I say attend a gathering every Sunday, I mean you try and attend the same gathering every Sunday. Um, I realise, of course, that uh, one of the really lovely things about our church is because we run services across the day, that if you miss one, you can actually go to another. And that's a particular benefit, especially for the shift workers amongst us. I understand that. And we're really delighted about that. But actually, uh, the way our church operates, you try and attend the same gathering each week. Here's the second thing that it means to be a member of our church family. There on your handout, you join a growth group. You join a growth group. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I said that growth groups are the key to growing in God's Word. Um, that actually the way in which we grow in God's Word is not by you listening to me talk at you for 30 minutes on a Sunday. The way we grow under God's Word is by being like the Bereans, meeting together wrestling with the word together, doing application of the word together with people as we share our lives together. What I want to add to that today is that in a very big church like ours, growth groups are the only way you will come to know others and to be known by others. Growth groups are the only way you will come to know others and to be known by others. That's just a reality of our size. Because even if you attend the same gathering every week, it's possible to sit next to 52 different people in the course of the year. Now, can I say that I know that actually some Christians would prefer a small church where they can look around the room and know every other person in that room intimately. I want to say that's wonderful when it happens. Uh, although, I do want to point out, there are other challenges in that church. But I want to say it's just not realistic here at Trinity City. Because, like in a big family, with lots of cousins and lots of uncles and lots of aunties, you can't spend all your time with everyone. Instead, you get to know a few better than the rest. And that's what our growth groups enable. Um, as an aside, again, uh, growth groups are actually where most of our pastoral care takes place because clearly in a church of our size, you can't expect a minister to be on call 24-7 for the hundreds of members of our church. Well, I've put a question there for you on your handout because it's one that um, often get asked by people. Um, what if I'm already in another Bible study group? What if I'm already in another Bible study group? Sometimes people ask why do I need to join a growth group in this church if I'm already in another Bible study group somewhere else? You know, maybe on campus or at work. Or maybe I'm just in a Bible study group with a, with a bunch of old friends who I've known for years and we gather together to read the Bible. Here's my response. Can I say, I think it's terrific that you're meeting with other people to read the Bible. Like I really do. I think it's terrific that you're meeting with other people to read the Bible. What a wonderful use of time, certainly compared to all the other things that most of us fill our days with. At the same time, please don't forget your primary spiritual family. It's here, in your local church. So please don't deprive us either. How does membership work in our church family? 
you attend a gathering every Sunday, you join a growth group, and the third and final thing, down the bottom left there, you get involved in service in some way. You get involved in service in some way. And again, the rationale for that is to use that family metaphor over again. You see, when you go to a family event, when you're part of a family, everyone contributes in some way. When you think about it, you turn up at someone's house for a special occasion, everyone pitches in. Everyone gets involved in some way. There are some exceptions. I get the very, very young don't, maybe the very, very frail, perhaps those who are unwell. But on the whole, the expectation is we're a family. So we all pitch in. The reason why we run Belong for those who are new to our church, and the reason why we've been going through it over these last few weeks, is because, actually, we want everyone to have the opportunity to be involved in the life of this family. Not to be passengers who are along for the ride. And so what I'd like to say to you today is, if you would like to get involved in service, maybe if you'd like to do something different, or maybe if you'd like to do something extra, please just fill in that communication slip. Pop it in the box afterwards. And I say, if you're not sure what you'd like to do in the life of this family, or if you're not particularly fussed, just write on that slip, I'm open to suggestion, and we'll have a conversation. Okay? So, first way in which... Uh, it, first way, implication of what it means to be part of a family. Uh, what, that's what membership looks like. Secondly, look at the right-hand side of your handout. I want to talk about leadership and how leadership works in our church family. This, of course, is a question that people who are new often want to ask, how do decisions get made in this church? And it's actually a really important thing for me to talk about constantly from the front so that there's always transparency and openness. Let me read these verses from Ephesians 4, from the last reading that Eric brought for us. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What you see in Ephesians 4 is that Christ, in his kindness, he gives the whole church body, the whole church family gifts, and the gifts of, in this case, leaders who will equip everyone for works of service. And so the way leadership works in our church, well, there's a few different dimensions. I've listed them there for you on your handout. Uh, firstly, there's the pastoral staff. Uh, the pastoral staff, uh, who you know, these are the men and women who have been theologically trained and formally qualified, who have experience and are gifted in ministry, whose role is to equip all of us to do the works of service that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, in particular, at this point, I want to say on behalf of the pastoral staff, uh, once again, I want to thank the whole church for the honour that you constantly bestow on us. So there's the pastoral staff. Second, you can see on the handout there, there's gathering leadership teams. Uh, there's gathering leadership teams. Uh, these are teams of men and women who aren't the paid staff, but are members of these congregations who love this church, who exercise an oversight and a leadership of the gatherings themselves. The reason for that is because here at Trinity, 
And listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Here at Trinity, we are a staff-led church. We are not a staff-do-everything-whilst-everyone-else-watches-on church. You get the distinction? We're a staff-led church, not a staff-do-everything-while-everyone-else-watches-on church. Because Ephesians 4 says the role of leaders is to equip all of God's people to do those works of service. Uh, Third dimension of leadership in our church, you'll see there on your handout, it says the ministry supports staff. Uh, The ministry supports staff. Now, actually, there's a slide on screen at the moment. We don't often acknowledge the ministry supports staff in our church. Uh, These are the men and women who faithfully work behind the scenes to do the things that others don't have time for or, quite frankly, have the skill for. Uh, So you can see there Janine, Duncan, Melissa and Crystal in the front office midweek. Duncan and I, uh, Duncan is the one who maintains uh, these ageing facilities on a shoestring budget. He does a wonderful job at it. Uh, Duncan and I often joke about how truly disastrous it would be if site maintenance was left up to me. (laughs) So how thankful we are that there are men and women who serve behind the scenes to enable the rest of us to do the works of service God has prepared in advance for us to do. And the last dimension of leadership, you can see there on your handout, next slide, thanks, ministry apprentices and student ministers. Again, these are the men and women who we who serve with us for a season, um, being trained and equipped in vocational ministry. The reason we do this is because we want to raise up leaders for the generations to come, that the gospel will keep going to the ends of the earth long after our watch is over. So, there's in a sense how leadership works in our church family. The thing is, actually, most ministry leadership in this family is informal. Most ministry leadership is informal. And it accrues with age. It's not given with a title. I'll say it again, most leadership in this church is informal... It accrues with age. It is not given with a title. I remember when I was a university student and I'd only recently become a Christian and I asked, what is Christian maturity? And I was told the answer was living as a believer for 60 years. Which is why, as someone who only became a Christian 30 years ago, I am still constantly learning from the senior saints in our church family about how to faithfully follow Jesus to my life's end. As I said at the start, in this family, the more mature siblings are responsible for raising the younger ones. That's one of the main reasons why over the last 18 months we have been talking and praying about moving to two all-age AM gatherings not only so we can continue to welcome more children and families to our church, but because, and I say this with an overwhelming thankfulness, because in particular our 9am gathering is the most mature gathering in our church family. Now, I was very polite to them this morning. I didn't say they're the oldest. I said they're the most mature. And the thing is, We need them 
to show the next generation what it means to belong to a God who is rich in mercy and to be part of his global mission task force. Who else can show those of us younger in the faith how to live as disciples of Christ if not those who've already done it for decades? So this week I thought about some of the men and women who exercise an informal leadership in our church family. I think about Dennis in our 9am gathering. He's in his 70s, he's now semi-retired. Once a month he catches up with Matt and David from this gathering from 10.30, both of whom are in their late 20s, to read the Bible and to pray and to talk about life, particularly in the workforce, as a follower of Christ. I thought about Les in our 6pm gathering. Les, who served in our youth group until he was in his 50s, just imagine that, and then three years ago came out of retirement in his 70s because we needed two younger uni-age youth leaders trained in youth ministry, which Les did until he retired again now that he's in his 80s. Or I think of Lynette and Hannah at our 6pm gathering. I've talked about them before. Hannah is in her 50s. She approached me last year saying that she wanted to meet with an older Christian woman who could mentor her into the next stage of life. So she started meeting with Lynette, who's in her late 60s. And they meet once a month on a Sunday afternoon in the office next to mine. And they meet to read the Bible and to pray together. And as I walk past and see them once a month on a Sunday... Well, I used to think, you know what, it doesn't get any better than this. Until one Sunday, I walked past and I saw that there was a third person in the room. It was a lady in her 50s who'd just become a Christian through Explore. Who better to show her what it means to live as a disciple of Christ than these godly older sisters in Christ who are just a few steps further ahead? Most leadership in our church family is informal. So you'll see there's a question I've asked you there on your handout. Who should make the first move? Who should make the first move in this kind of intergenerational church leadership? Um, I want to ask the question because I understand, of course, when it comes to initiating relationships, everyone's a little bit nervous and a bit unsure. So here's what I want to say today. I just want to go on a limb and say it's up to the more mature person to make the first move. I know that young people speak too fast. Like, I understand that. But they really do want to learn. So can I say to some of our more mature brothers and sisters in the faith, it's not that hard. Just start by saying hello. Ask them what they do during the week. Maybe invite them for a cuppa. Because I know they want to. Okay, how membership works in our church family, how leadership works in our church family. Let me finish then. Last thing on the uh, bottom right-hand side of your handout. How financial partnership works in our church family. And I want to acknowledge this might seem like a funny place to finish, um, but I do have a good reason. Uh, We finish our Belong series here because even though it's not the first thing we want to talk to newcomers about, I want us to be upfront and transparent. 
This is the reason why once a month I give an in-gathering update about how our finances are progressing. In fact, I'm going to do that next week uh, when I bring you our 2024 budget. In the meantime, you'll have noticed this particular insert inside your leaflet. It's headed Financial Partnership at Trinity Church Adelaide. That's for you to take away and to read at home. Inside, you'll hear, most importantly, a reminder of why we are to be generous towards the spread of the gospel, but you'll also see a number of frequently asked questions and uh, some details on how to be involved. Let me acknowledge that here at Trinity Church Adelaide, we are a big church, so we have a big budget. In fact, I've printed there on the bottom right-hand side in pretty bold, stark numbers so you can see. Our 2023 giving budget is $1.7 million. And if that sounds like a lot, well, it is. It's a lot because God in his kindness has blessed us here at Trinity City. We are the pioneer church in the city of churches and he has blessed us with so many opportunities to make disciples of all nations. So we have a big budget. It's $1.7 million. But to put that number in context, as I said there on your handout, we will reach that budget this year if every adult member gives $7 a day or $50 a week or $200 a month or $2,500 a year. Now, what do you think? Is that a lot? Because I'm talking here about every adult member. Not just households, every adult member. Well, let me say that for some of us, actually, yes, that's a lot. In fact, for some of us, it's just impossible. Because we're unemployed. Or pensioners. Or some of our students. And I say that because some of our students are very well off. Actually, the fact that we all have very different circumstances is the reason why I will never tell you how much you should give. We all have different circumstances. I will never tell you how much you should give. Ultimately, your giving is between you and God anyway. I just want to say that actually for others... Others of us to whom God has been so incredibly generous on a global scale with enormous salaries and vast accumulated wealth, $7 a day is not very much at all. In fact, some of us can give much more. That's the case for Wendy and me. Now, of course... Uh, it's worth me pointing out that in our case, for Wendy and me, our giving is not just to Trinity, but actually to God's global mission. Uh, So in fact, half of what we give, we give to this church, and the other half we have spread across 15 other organisations, all of whom are looking to make disciples of all nations, particularly in parts of the world that Wendy and I will never get to. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not using specific numbers or even my example to make you feel either guilty or smug. The reason why I'm talking about numbers is because 
to use the family metaphor again, families talk about things that matter. Families talk about things that matter. That includes our finances. And in fact, in a family, everyone pitches in. Everyone pitches in in a family. You might say, we take care of our own. At Trinity, we receive no external funding, just what our congregations give. And so, yes, some give more than others, but everyone contributes. And perhaps if I could put it this way, the biggest risk in a big church like ours is that it can be very tempting to think, it doesn't matter what I do, someone else will cover my share. Obviously, we can't all think that way. The reason, though, why I finished Belong talking about financial partnership in our church family is because I actually think it's the inevitable response to belonging to a God who's so rich in mercy, who speaks to us through his word, and who invites us into his global mission task force. See, the reason to give to ministry and I'm going to say this in all seriousness with a completely straight face. The reason to give to ministry, what else are you going to spend your money on anyway? Is there any better way to use your money than making disciples of all nations? Think of all the other things we purchase in a given year. I know it's the privilege of the wealthy that very few of us worry about where our next meal is coming from or where we're going to sleep tonight. But think about all the things that we spend our money on in a year. And I, for one, am struck by just how much I waste on things I really don't need, which certainly won't last and won't make any real difference anyway. By contrast, is there any better way to use your money than to make disciples of all nations. And I ask the question that way because, quite frankly, why would anyone want to miss out? Okay, I'm going to pray at this point. Then after that, as we've done each week, we're going to hear from Michelle as she she interviews a member of our church family about their experience, and then we're going to sing our final song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this church family that you've placed us in. Thank you that with Jesus as our oldest brother, under you, our Heavenly Father, uh, that you are doing your work in us to make us more and more like your Son. Please shape us into a family that is a great witness to the world around us, that all who see us might long to be part of this thing that you are doing for Jesus' sake. Amen.